I'm gonna, we're going to talk about resurrection, but I want Jeff Kyle to come right now and just share. Uh, he shared something with me at the end of the service last week and asked me if he'd just share what, what was on his heart. Morning. Um, I just was sharing with Jeff last week that, that uh, a revelation that God gave me during the, the, the service. And, and um, you know, it, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit, you know, you can see things or bits and pieces of things. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he kind of puts it all together. And you go, wow, why, why didn't I ever see that before? And um, what he was really showing me was a perspective issue. And, and you know, I, we're all, my, myself included, I see it all the time. We're, we're so bound up in self and kind of our pride and our, we, we tend to see everything through our perspective and how it reflects, you know, how, this, how does this affect me? How does this affect, and we were talking about the whole, the idea of resurrection and, and the idea of, of what it means to be a, a sign and, um, and miracle. And the... It just, it just kind of like it all opened up. And, you know, we look at that so many times as, as from our perspective, that, that resurrection, and we think, well, I got saved, and I got, you know, it's kind of like what I got out of it. And, yes, we did. I mean, that's not a bad thing. But, you know, in the beginning, when Satan ex declared, I will exalt myself above God, God, God's wrath was revealed to all creation. I mean, he crushed that. I mean, I mean, the lake of fire forever. I mean, that doesn't, I mean, we see the wrath of God. And you see man, when God, and when Satan comes to him, Satan says, you can be like God. And we did the same thing. And we deserve the same punishment. But the reality is that God, the, the wrath, his character, the wrath, the, that character that we see in God, in us, the grace and the mercy of God is revealed to all of creation. That that the the fact that, that we should should deserve the same punishment, but yet we're a sign and a wonder to everything. Come on. Every time someone accepts Christ in their life and God extends his grace and his mercy, it's all about him. It's all about God and the character of God being revealed to the angels, to to, to everyone, that they would sit back and go, you know what? How can this be? How, how, you know, it's a miraculous thing of, of who God is. It's all about him. It's really, it's not about us. That's right. Amen. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. That is so true. And it's so easy uh, to make, to make the salvation and to make life all about us. And the reality is it's, it's not. It really is about him. Resurrection. What does the resurrection declare? We're going to wrap the series up today. And, and last week when, when uh, we touched on that at the end of the service, we were talking about sonship. The resurrection declares our sonship, that we are the sons and the daughters of God. And that sonship comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 13, the writer of Hebrews quotes from Isaiah. He says, here I here am I and the children that God has given me. And that scripture in Isaiah 8, 18, it says, Behold, I and the children that God has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel. And yes, 
There is a power that lives in us, that dwells in us. And yes, God has given us the power to walk in signs and wonders. But, but what Jeff brought out is so, is so important. And what the Lord is declaring through this scripture is so much greater than what I can even do here. What, or even what God is going to do through me to manifest in the natural, His supernatural power. There is a greater truth here, and this is what I want to talk to you about today. Behold, I and the children that God has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now, what was the sign of Jonah the prophet? What was Jesus talking about there? What was the significance of that? Well, the sign of Jonah was Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, but then he came out of the belly of the well, and what, what did he do? He went to Nineveh, and he preached a message of repentance, and Nineveh repented of their sin. They turned from their sin, and God, God spared them. For a long season, they were spared the judgment of God because of their repentance. And so, these Pharisees, now, scribes and Pharisees, you know who scribes and Pharisees are? Scribes and Pharisees, these were the, the religious elite of Jesus' day. These were the lawyers. Pharisees were lawyers. They knew the law. See, in Israel, there was no law apart from the law of God. They didn't have a secular law and a, and a, a, a religious law or a spiritual law or a law associated with God. Like They didn't have separation of church and state like we do in America. The law came from God, and the law was bound up in God because it came from God. And so these Pharisees, they were lawyers. And they were experts in the law. And so these were the leaders of the day. These were the men who were held in high esteem. And here comes Jesus, and he's talking to these guys. And they said, well, we want to see a sign from you. Now, <clears throat> let me just take a moment, and let's take us back to see why, why did Jesus say that? Why did they ask Jesus that? And why, why did he say that to them? Why did he respond in that way? And, and, and we don't have time to do it today, but if you were to go back in Matthew chapter 12, you'd see that, that Jesus is doing a, a miracle here. Back in verse 22, it says, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? In other words, could this be the Messiah? And now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this guy does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. In other words, he's using demonic power to do these things. And so this began a discourse, and Jesus tells them, you can blaspheme the Son of Man, you can blaspheme me, but when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, why? Why? Because the Holy Spirit, what is the job of the Holy Spirit? Why did God send the Holy Spirit to the earth? In John 16, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit to you, and He's going to do three things. He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. 
Of sin because why? They do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. Of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And so of sin, what is the sin? Not sins plural, but sin singular. Sin because they do not believe in me. And what Jesus was saying here is if you guys reject the Holy Spirit, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you are rejecting and blaspheming the very one that is, that is going to be sent to draw you to me so that you can be saved. And if you reject him, if you blaspheme him, there's no hope for you because the only way you can come to me is through the power of the Spirit. And if you reject the Spirit, you have rejected life. And, and there's, there's, there's nothing that can be done about that. And so he's talking to them. And, and so finally, in verse 31, look at verse 31. You know, he says, every sin will be forgiven. And then he says this in verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. What's he saying? He says, like begets like. I mean, if you walk up to an apple tree and pick an apple, how do you know it's an apple tree? Because it's got apples on it. My sister-in-law has an orange tree down in South Texas and a big lemon tree. And the, the lemons are the sizes of the oranges. And, and how do you know which is the orange tree and which is the lemon tree? Well, the lemon, the, the lemon tree has lemons growing on it and the orange tree has oranges growing on it. There's no confusion there. The fruit tells you what the tree is. And where does the fruit come from? It comes from the life that's in the root. And the life that's in the root of that tree produces ultimately the fruit that comes out on that tree. And here's what Jesus is saying. He said, hey, either make the tree good or make it bad. Because either the tree's going to be good and the fruit good, or the tree's going to be bad and the fruit bad. Because the tree is known by its fruit. And then Jesus, in his political correctness in verse 34, tells the elite of his day, the leaders of his day, you bunch of snakes, you brood of vipers. Now, he, he, he didn't really know how to, to, to win people over and influence them in a very positive way, did he? Was Jesus tr just trying to be offensive for the sake of being offensive, or was he trying to get these guys to understand something? Maybe if he could offend them, maybe through the offense that the truth would bring, they would stumble over that rock of offense, and they would be able to look up and see the one who could truly set them free. Maybe if they stumbled over the truth, they would stop trusting in themselves, and they would be able to see the one that could truly bring them life. Jesus said, how can you, being evil, speak good things? Look at this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Either make the tree good or make it bad. Because if it's a good tree, it's going to have good fruit. If it's a bad tree, it's going to have bad fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where does what we speak come from? Jesus said it comes from the abundance of the heart. Just like where does the apple come from? It comes from the life that's in the root. And the life in the root produces the fruit. Jesus said, the words that come out of your mouth come from the abundance of your heart. What's in the root of you here, what's inside of you here is going to betray you. And you guys are rotten to the core. For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. Sweet water flows from a sweet fountain. Bitter waters flow from a bitter fountain. And so he says, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be 
condemned. Why? Because your words will ultimately show what's inside of you. Then, after Jesus said all this to them, then some of them said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Okay, we hear what you're saying. We can take your... We can take what you have to say to us, but, but, okay, if you really are, if you're not doing this by the power of demons, if you really are, then go ahead and now show us a sign so that we'll know. Prove it to us. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now what's interesting, then he goes on. And he says, Jonah was in the whale. He went to Nineveh and he preached and Nineveh repented. In the day of judgment, he said, Nineveh will rise up. And they will say to you, one greater than Jonah was with you and you did not repent. He said, in that day, the queen of the south will rise up and say to you, one greater than Solomon was here with greater wisdom than even Solomon. And you did not recognize it. And you will be condemned in that day. Then Jesus, in verse 43, look at verse 43 with me. I know this is not on your message guide, just something the Lord gave me last night during the service, but I want to share this with you because it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about and what we have been talking about. Verse 43 of Matthew 12 is this scripture that we quote a lot when we talk about people getting delivered, you know, cast a demon out and... And so here's what Jesus says. But, but I want you to catch the context of what Jesus is talking about here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And he says, you understand, Jesus begins to say this after he's talking to these Pharisees who want to see a sign. Well, what does casting demons out of people have to do with what he's talking about? Well, it has everything to do with what he's talking about. He says, and he says, who says? The unclean spirit says in verse 44, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first state. So shall it be with this wicked generation. He said, a wicked generation seeks a sign. Now, what is, I want you to look at something in verse 44. Do you notice, what do you notice in verse 44? What does the unclean spirit say? Uh, he'll return where? To whose house? He says, my house. He said, I will return to my house. Swept clean, put in order, nice and neat. All the filth was driven out of it. All, it was all taken out. But, but the problem, now here's what you often hear. Well, well here's what you've got to do, brother. You've been delivered, but you've got to fill your house with something. Well, you can fill your house with things all day long. You can fill your house with busyness for the Lord. You can come to church seven days a week. You can pray 24 hours a day. You can fill your house with all kinds of things. But the problem is not that the house is empty. You know what the problem is? The unclean spirit says, it's my house. It's my house. The problem is the ownership of the house was never changed. Jesus is talking to these Pharisees that represent a generation, that represent the people of his day. 
And they were trying to find a way to get their house swept clean. They had the law to set everything in order, to make everything neat, to make everything beautiful. And they were sweeping it clean. Problem is, they weren't changing ownership. They weren't changing ownership. And we fall into this false security that as long as I keep my house swept clean, it all looks nice, neat, and tidy, I'm okay. No, it's not okay. You've got to fill it with a bunch of stuff. So what do we do? We fill it with a whole bunch of busyness. problem is the ownership's never changed. Jesus said, you guys are only going to get one sign. It's not about how I cast the demons out. It's not about how I heal the sick, how I raise the dead. There's one sign that's going to be given to this generation that's going to make a difference. There's one sign that's going to be given to this generation. It's the only sign that you're going to get. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because it is through that sign that everything is changed. It is through that sign of resurrection. It's through the power of resurrection that the ownership of the house is changed. It's through the power of resurrection that it ceases to be the house of the unclean and it becomes the house of the holy. And there is one holy and that is God. It ceases to be the house of of, of, of the work of man. It ceases to be the house of corruption and it becomes the house of the living God. The dwelling place of God Almighty. How does it do that? It does it by exactly what Jeff Kyle spoke of. He does it by the grace of God. It is by His grace that He has taken us and made us His house. The scripture says we are His house. And the problem these Pharisees had was that they had a house, but it wasn't God's house. It belonged to something unclean. And they thought they could sweep it clean. They thought they could set it in order. And they had all the law to do that with. But the problem is, it was still the house of the unclean. It had never become clean because there's only one that can make us clean. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can make us clean. He is the only one that can change ownership. That's why it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The old house is gone. Behold, all things have become new. And now, what's it say? Let me read it to you. I don't want to tell you. I want to read it to you from the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 18, what's it say? Now all things are of God. The house doesn't belong to the unclean anymore. Now the house is of God. When you and I become a new creation in Christ Jesus, the house doesn't belong to the unclean anymore. As long as the house belongs to the unclean, he has a right to come back. You can fill it with anything and everything you want to fill it with. But as long as it's his house, he has the right to come back. He'll just move what you put in there out. You know what? More than that, he'll use what you put in there. He'll use it for his own purposes. He'll deceive you and make you think you're doing all of this stuff. 
and it seems so spiritual and so godly and so lifely, but the reality is it's unclean and it's rooted and it's grounded in death. And God says what needs to happen, we need to change the ownership. Well, Lord, how does that happen? I come to the cross and I am crucified, I am buried, and I am raised with him. Now, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, now all things are of God. The house belongs to God now. And when that unclean thing tries to come back, you know what God says? Uh, 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 buddy, you ain't coming in here because the house don't belong to you anymore. Matter of fact, that house that, that was here before, it doesn't even exist anymore. This is a new house built on a new foundation. There is not anything of the old that is left. That is gone, passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. You have no right to enter this dwelling place. None whatsoever. See, these Pharisees in Matthew 12, they were building a house. But it wasn't God's house. It was their own house. They thought it was their house, but the reality is the God of this world owned everything. And so Jesus said, there's only one sign I'm going to give you. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah, because that's the only sign that's going to make a difference. We are the children given to him by virtue of the resurrection. And we are for signs and wonders, the scripture says. Our salvation, church, our salvation is the greatest sign and the greatest wonder. Declaring his grace and declaring the power of his resurrection. Our salvation. We don't think of it that way. But I'm telling you what, the greatest sign and the greatest wonder that creation has seen is not blind eyes opening, not deaf ears coming. Because I'm telling you what, you read, the book of, you read the book of Exodus and you see what those magicians in Egypt were able to do. They were able to mimic everything that God did. But you know what? They were not able to handle. It was the last plague. You know what the last plague was? It was the angel of death. They could turn sticks into snakes. They could turn the river red. They could do all kinds of things. But they could not and they did not have power. Resurrection. You know what resurrection declares? It declares that God Almighty, through His Son, Jesus Christ, defeated death. He has absolute power over death. And there's one sign, there's one wonder that the enemy cannot mimic, he cannot copy, he cannot manufacture. He has no power over death. He doesn't. It's been taken away from him. He's been defeated. He does not have the power to give you life. He does not have the power to keep you in the grave. He does not have the power to hold you down anymore. Why? Because Jesus defeated death and he lost, he lost that power. Those that were covered by the blood of the Lamb, even during the Passover, the very first Passover, death had no power over them. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb covered them. Death has no power over you. Why? Because the blood of the Lamb covers you and you are a new house. You're a new house. And death has no power. The unclean has no power over you. Our salvation 
is the greatest sign, the greatest wonder, declaring his grace, declaring his power and his resurrection. Now, now we can think that, you know, if there's not any miracles happening, then there's no signs and wonders taking place. And that's not true. Because just, just as Jeff Kyle alluded to, and what I'm telling you, what the scripture tells you, forget what I say, forget what Jeff says, forget what anybody says, let's see what the scripture says. And the scripture says you are a walking sign and wonder. You are. You don't even know it, but you are. You absolutely are. Yes, does, does God want us to operate in signs and wonders and miracle power? Absolutely. And in Christ, God has given us that power to perform signs and wonders by His Spirit. And we should have the faith to walk in that power. But I'm going to tell you what, there's no miracle that can make a louder statement than the fact that you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And you are now raised with Him, seated with Him in heavenly places. That is the greatest sign, the greatest wonder. There's nothing you or I can do, there's nothing God can do through us apart from that that will speak any louder, that declares any greater power, any greater sign, any greater wonder. By virtue of our life, our very life, by virtue of our life, we declare the wonder of His grace and the exceeding greatness of His power toward us. Ephesians 2, 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together. That's resurrection. And when He raised you up, He raised you up a new house. With a brand new owner, Christ, the Lord God Almighty, owns us lock, stock, and barrel because he paid for us. And he made us sit together in heavenly places where in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, look at this church, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You are a trophy of grace. God has set you up for all of creation to see. And he didn't do it through your power, through your strength. You didn't do it through your works. You didn't do it through sweeping your house. You didn't do it through doing, setting anything in order. You didn't have the power to do that. But God in His grace and the exceeding greatness of His power that works toward us, He raised us up. He gave us a new house, a new foundation. He caused us to become the sons of the living God. And we now declare to heaven and earth. We declare through the resurrection the sons of God. And we declare that sign and that wonder of his grace. Here's what Peter says. 1 Peter 1. It says, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Verse 10. It's in your message guide if you can follow in your Bible or your message guide, 1 Peter 1.10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us. That's us. Say, that's me. That's me, that's us today, to, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things, look at this, things which angels desire to look into. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I, I got saved in 1984, 
July 19, 1984, 6 p.m. in the evening, I went to this lady's house thinking I was going to uh, make a deal with her and God had a deal waiting for me. <laughs> and about midnight on that, on that Tuesday night, I left her house, born again, filled with the Spirit. I mean, God just radically changed my life on the inside. You might not have thought, looking at me on the outside, that my life was really radically changed that much. But I'm telling you what, God radically changed me. And I worked for this, uh, I worked for this company, and I, I worked in a building that was a multi, you know, not a real tall building, but we were up on, I don't know, high enough that you had a really good view. And for some reason, after I got born again, I wanted to see an angel. And I mean, I would pray, God, I want to see an angel. Show me an angel. Show me an angel. I can remember standing in front of this, the office I worked in the, had huge glass windows from floor to ceiling. And I'd stand there in front of that window, and I'd just be looking into the sky, just silently praying to myself, asking God, God, show me an angel, show me an angel, I want to see an angel. You know what? God never showed me an angel. God never let me see it. To this day, I have never seen an angel. Never. But you know what I've come to realize? How foolish was I desiring to see an angel when the scripture says that the angels look at us in wonder and awe, desiring to look into this grace, to look into this salvation that we have. And the angels, here I was standing at that window, praying to God to show me an angel. And the, the heavenly host was out there, and they were looking at me going, God, God, if we could only have what he has, God, why... We don't understand what you've done, God. Lord, they're, they're a mystery to us. Lord, we're looking at them. We're trying to understand, but it's beyond our comprehension. And, and the powers and the principalities in heavenly places look at us in wonder because we are the sons and the daughters of God. We are the heirs of salvation. And God has put his spirit in us. And God has saved us even though we deserved Wrath, even though we deserved punishment, God did not punish us. God did not judge us. He judged his son. He judged us in his son. But in judging us in his son, he now gives us the opportunity to come to life. To get rid of the old house. And every remnant of it, every bit of it, every trace of it. And come to a new house, to a new life. To a new beginning. And the angels and the powers and the principalities of heaven look. And they can't figure it out. So the next time you want to see an angel, you think about that. You are what all of heaven is staring at in awe and in wonder. You're a mystery to them. It's what the scripture says. Paul says, this mystery... He talks about this mystery. Humanity, the redeemed of the Lord, are a mystery to the heavenly host. To the angels, they look in awe and wonder. To the demons, to the fallen ones, there is, a, there is an envy and a jealousy and a wrath. Satan, what he tried to take by force, what he tried to rob from God, God has given to us by his grace. It's what Jesus meant in Philippians 2 when he says, let this mind be in you. What Paul wrote this, Paul wrote this, he said, let this mind be in you, 
which is also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And what that really says, that Jesus did not try to take his position by force like Satan did, but instead of trying to take it by force, he humbled himself, became a man, took on human flesh, became obedient even to the point of death, even the death on the cross of Calvary. And because Jesus humbled himself in that way, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. You know where you are? If you are in Christ, Ephesians says you have been raised with him and you are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's not a point of pride for us. That should humble us to the point that it brings the fear of the Lord to us. Because if we understand the condition that we were in before we came to faith in Christ, if we understand the sin and the death that held us captive, and the fact that God has brought us into so great a salvation through His Son and given us His very life, that should not make us puffed up and proud. That should make us fearful because we understand. Not fearful of God, but have you ever just... How many of you have ever... Have you ever had a really close call in an automobile? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you realize that a millisecond different, a millimeter different, and I, would, I wouldn't even be here? You have that? I mean, it's really like a life and death thing. If this would have gone the other way, I'm telling you what, I'd be dead right now. And you have that situation, and you pull over to the side of the road, and you just sit there. And... It's just like a, you just realize, I, I, I am so fortunate to still be here. See, when we realize what God brought us out of, that's, that's what should be happening inside of us. I am so fortunate to still be here. It ain't what I've done. It's not because I'm good. It, it's not, it's, there's nothing of myself. I can take zero zip glory for anything. I am just blessed to be here. Well, how are you still here? By his grace. By his grace. That's it. By his grace in no other way. The resurrection declares to heaven and earth the sons of God as signs and wonders of his grace. The resurrection declares the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. See, there was suffering in the cross. And Hebrews says that Jesus endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the glory, for the joy that was set before him. We were that joy. It is the glory that God has brought us into through the cross. We're talking about resurrection, but you can't talk about resurrection without talking about the cross because there is no resurrection apart from the cross and there is no cross without the resurrection. They are one and the same. And yes, we are called to lose our life in Christ, but there is, and you can say that is a suffering, but there is a glory that follows. Paul says, listen, the resurrection declares not only the suffering of Christ, but the glories that would follow. Sonship is a testimony continuously manifesting what? His glory. The fact that you are a son, a daughter of God, it is a testimony of not what happened to you 25 or 5 or 
two years ago or two weeks ago. It's a testimony that is continuously manifesting in your life. The fact that you are a son or a daughter of God continuously declares his glory. Just the fact that you're walking around on this earth, you are a sign and a wonder that heaven is looking at in awe. The mystery of it confounds them. They don't understand it because you're a trophy of his grace. This is the experience of the spiritual the spiritually minded believer. Why do I use that term spiritually minded? Can a believer be not spiritually minded? Can you be in Christ and not have a spiritual mind? You sure can. But the spiritually minded believer repeatedly knows the impact of death and the glory of the resurrection of Christ. What, what do I mean by that? That we live we live with the reality of whose house we used to be in face of the reality of whose house I am now. I remember the old house. I like the new house better. The spiritually minded person is not living in the old house. They're thankful the old house is gone. They're not trying to get rid of the old house. They're not trying to get rid of the, the ways of the old house because Christ took that away. And if I have a revelation of the house I am now, and I know what the house used to be, there should be something inside of me that makes me so thankful that I am now the house of God that I don't want to have anything to do with the old house. And, and I didn't get in the house, I didn't get the new house because I worked real hard. I know that's the American dream, you work real hard and you can achieve the American dream. But, but that's not the way it works in God's kingdom. Jesus did all the hard work. And he's saying, if you will, by faith, trust me, I'll bring you into a new house. You'll have the memory of the old house, but that memory of the old house and the reality of the new should motivate you to, to just live with an attitude of gratitude of what he has given you through his grace. And you should be so thankful that you've been delivered from that old house. That old moldy, stinky, broken down house of death. You thought it was a mansion when you were living there, but now that you're in the real house, now that you're in the house of life, you realize what you have. And you're going, oh God, thank you. Thank you, God. I don't deserve this, but I'm so thankful, God. I'm so thankful, God. See, the spiritually minded believer knows the impact of death. I know the impact death had on me, but now I know the glory of his resurrection. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the spirit, things of the spirit. For to be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. Living out of a natural mind, that's the carnal, that's the fleshly mind. Living out of a natural mind, even for a child of God, is to experience and manifest the corruption and fear that is in the world through sin. We talked about peace earlier. There's a lot of people struggling to find peace. There's a lot of people in fear right now in the world. Fear of pig flu and fear of economic disaster and fear of all kinds of things. But I'm going to tell you what. Well, that's what it is. Pig flu, swine, that's what swine are. Swine are pigs and pigs are swine. I know they have a politically correct name for it because, you know, poor pigs. They're getting a bad rap here. But I can't remember the technical name, so I'm just going to call it the pig flu, okay? Because that's the pig flu when pigs fly. Well, the pig flu, okay? 
But when you live out of the natural mind, you're, you're living out of this mind, and it brings corruption and fear to your life. That's your mindset. But when you live out of a renewed mind, that's the spiritual mind. When you live out of that renewed mind in the revelation and reality of who you are in Christ, that you're a son of God, a daughter of God, when you live out of that mind, it says that it is to experience and manifest his life and his peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Does that mean nothing bad ever happens to you? No. Does it mean you don't have struggle, trial, tribulation? No. But in the midst of that, what can you have? Life and peace. Why? Because my life and peace is not dictated by, predicated by what, what happens in this world. My circumstance doesn't determine whether I have life, life or peace. Jesus Christ determines whether I have life or peace. And if I have Jesus, I have life and peace. So am I living out of the mind of the old house or the mind of the new house? If I'm still in the old house, I don't have any life and peace. i got fear and corruption. Worry, whoa, all the days of my life. Doom and gloom, agony on me. Whoever saw Hee Haw, can you remember the old song? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If I had, how's it go? If I had any luck, it'd be bad luck. <laughs> Doom and gloom, agony on me. You know how many believers live in that mindset today? God wants to deliver you from that. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have doomful or gloomful things happen to you, but you don't have to let those things control your life. There's life and peace in Him. And as we come to know His love and His grace, as we grow in the revelation of that, Paul said, How can we fear anything? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so the Apostle Paul, he had experience in this, and he said, Lord, I've got this thing plaguing me. I need you to deliver me from it. Three times he asked. And finally, the Lord Jesus spoke to him. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul ends that verse, in that, that, that section in verse 10, and he says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And here's the thing, church. We are. We are. You are here. You are in life. You are here right now. We are because of his grace, because of his strength working through our weakness. We are the weak clay brought to life by his grace and by his strength. We weren't anything but clay. And God breathed his life into us. You are nothing but clay that contains the breath of God. Contains the and the powers and principalities and the angels look and they say, Lord, those aren't anything but jars of clay. They're frail, they're fragile. They're, there's, there's nothing beautiful about them. And you've put your glorious presence inside of them. Lord, it's a mystery to me. Lucifer says, I was the most beautiful of your creation. I was the most glorious of your creation. And I wanted that, and look what you've given me, a bunch of clay. See, it's not the clay. It's not the jar. It's what's inside. 
Dr. Pepper, when I used to drink sodas, Dr. Pepper was my favorite soda. And if I would ever let myself start drinking sodas again, I would get addicted to Dr. Pepper again because I just absolutely love it. And as much, but you know what I never did? You think of your favorite beverage. You ever go to the refrigerator, you go to the store, you've been real thirsty, finally get to a convenience store, you go in there and you get your big old bottle of Dr. Pepper, cold Dr. Pepper, take it out to the car, and said, finally. You pop the lid on that thing and you pour it out on the ground. I've been waiting for this bottle all day long. You don't do that, do you? What do you do with the bottle when you're done with the stuff inside of it? Throw it away. Because the bottle is nothing. It's what's inside the bottle that, that is glorious. It's what's inside the bottle that is of value. This flesh, this clay, it's nothing. Jesus said, don't worry about that body. Paul says, it's not the jar of clay, it's the excellence and the power is inside. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has and God will always demonstrate his strength through our weakness. We don't like that, but that's reality. God has taken the foolish things to confound the wise. He's taken the weak things to bring to nothing the mighty. Why? So that the mighty will never take any glory. So that the wise will never take any glory. Because no one will ever be able to say, look what I did. No, we will always and we will only say, look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did. Through the ages... Here's a quote I want to read to you. Through the ages, all the powers of hell and death have come like a deluge upon the church through the centuries, sometimes seeming to almost quench its light. But it has sprung up again. It has broken forth again. It is greater than ever after every such time. Church, I want to tell you the powers of hell are pressing on the church as a whole. But as they press on the church as a whole, they press on you personally and individually the promise of Christ is this he said I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it he left no reason to doubt he left no wiggle room there it's not the gates of hell probably won't the gates of hell almost certainly will not he said they shall not and he said I will not you not me I will build my church, not through slick marketing, not through, through nice, fancy, slick brochures, though we passed a bunch of them out yesterday, and I'm not against those things, but if we ever think it's going to be a slick brochure or a nice building or a good praise and worship team or a preacher, we can build a crowd with all of those things, but we'll never build a church. Because the church isn't about the crowd. Because the church isn't about this. The church is about this right here. And I go back to what Jesus told those Pharisees. He said either make the tree good or make the tree bad. Because good fruit can only come from a good tree. What comes from the abundance of your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. If all we're doing is sweeping our houses clean and putting them in order, that unclean thing is going to come back because it's still his 
when we come to a revelation of what Christ has done through the cross, through the resurrection, we realize that He has made good on His promise. He will build His church. And that promise is yours. That's your promise. You may feel like all hell is pressing against you right now. But I'm going to tell you what, saint of God, the promise of Jesus Christ is He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. They will not because if you are in Christ, you are the church. And the gates of hell cannot, they cannot prevail against you. They cannot. And if you think they are, then you need to get this mind renewed. I'm telling you. I'm telling you the truth. Get it renewed to His love. Get it renewed to His grace. God can handle. You know what God can handle? Your questions. God can handle your honest opinion. You know, we've conditioned believers. I'm saying pastors have. Religious leaders, we've conditioned people. Oh, you shouldn't question God. Don't, don't, don't say that. Don't ask God that. He might get mad at you. He's, God's had plenty of opportunity to get mad at us. If he's not already mad at us, there ain't nothing you're going to ask him, nothing you're going to say to him that's going to make him mad at you now. Nothing. But if we would stop putting our faces on and stop building these facades and trying to be all pious and all religious and all righteous, maybe we just need to get down to brass tacks where the rubber meets the road and say, God, I don't know why this has happened in my life. God, I don't know why you're allowing this to, to, to come upon me. God, I don't know why my loved one's not saved. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Go ahead. Go ahead and ask God. But here's the thing. Be prepared. To receive whatever he has to say to you. It might not be what you want to hear. It might not be. What you're expecting. See God. I, I, I'm convinced God answers prayer. He answers every prayer. He just doesn't always give us the answer we want. How we want it. When we want it. That does not change the reality of who he is does not change the reality of what we have been brought into in Jesus Christ. It doesn't. We do not always know. Listen, you look back, I can look back on my life and I wonder, Lord, I don't even know how I got to where I am. I'm, I'm honest. I, I tell you, I'm telling you the truth. I don't even know how I came to be standing right here talking to you today. Because it sure wasn't what I had planned. It sure wasn't what I had wanted. I couldn't sit down and, and map it out for you, even looking back. They say hindsight's twenty twenty. not always. Somehow, sometimes it just looks like a big confused jumble, and I don't know how on earth God got me to where I am. I'll tell you how he did it. He didn't do it because of our endurance. He did it through the power of his resurrection. It's not your endurance. It's not your strength. It's, it's the power of his resurrection. He has brought you to the place you are. He has brought you to faith in Christ, if you are in faith in Christ. If you're not in Christ, he's brought you to where you are, and he is calling your name. And he is telling you, I love you. I want you. I want to get you out of that old house, and I want to demolish it, and I want to put you in a brand new one, and I'm going to be the owner of it, 
And there ain't going to be any unclean thing that's going to come in there and disturb you and rob you and take from you. It's not even your house. It's my house. You are my house. We don't even belong to ourselves anymore. This is the testimony. Signs and wonders. And God has done that. How? He's done it by His grace. He's done it because He chose to. He did it because He loves you. He chose to love you. He chose to pour His grace out on you. He's not looking for a reason to punish you. He's not looking for a reason to be mad at you. He's looking to save you, to redeem you. He's poured out His grace. He wants you to know and He wants you to experience the power of resurrection. In His grace, we begin in resurrection, we continue in resurrection, and we will end in resurrection. It's by the power of resurrection that we're born again. It's by the power of resurrection that we walk this walk of faith every day. Knowing the impact of death, but experiencing the glory and the reality of resurrection every day. And There is a day coming when the sons of God will be revealed in this earth. This very created order will enter into the liberty of the sons of God. When creation itself will be redeemed, will be adopted. And the curse will be no more. And the remnant of any death shall be gone. But that's not a reality waiting for you. That's the reality you live in right now. You live in the midst of death all around you, but you are not of it. You're in it, but you're not of it. You are of Christ. Whose house do you belong to? Whose house are you of? You are of Christ. You live by His grace, the power of His resurrection. And it makes all I want to ask, is there anyone here who's never made Jesus Lord of your life? You've never come to that place of resurrection. You're still living in the old house. Say, I need a new house. And Jesus wants to give you a new house today. How many of you would say, I want a new house? Spiritually speaking. And if I just ask you in a new house, probably a lot of you'd raise your hands, right? <laughs> Is there anyone you say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me because I want to I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ today? Anyone, raise your hand if that's you. Nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody here that's a believer came to a point in their life where they had to do that. You don't have to do it in church. 